Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello there. I was so eager, maybe even anxious, to share today's poem that I just came into my closet with nothing but my laptop and microphone. I've never done that before. I didn't even print the poem. It's in my head. I'm going to say it to you. But before we get to that, it's been a while since I've asked this. If you could show me some love in the way that love is shown in the podcast world by rating and even reviewing this show if you haven't yet, and maybe sharing with somebody. Think of somebody that you would love to spend a little bit of time with. You know if you saw him or her, you'd pick up right where you left off, maybe take a walk, sit on a porch somewhere with a tea or a whiskey. Whoever that person is, maybe they'd like to hear about this podcast. Maybe not, but it's worth a try, right? Okay, let's get to today's poem. It is in my Hall of Fame of Poetry, maybe my top 10, if somebody held a gun to my head and made me choose. And I can't believe that I didn't find a chance to read it last year. I was saving it for the winter and then Advent came and the year slipped away. So before daylight savings and before spring is here in earnest, I wanted to share this loveliest of winter poems. If you know me in real life, you have probably heard me recite this in some situation or another. So I'm sorry for the repetition, but hopefully it bears up under repeated listening. The poem is called Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. It goes like this. Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then with hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake to hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call. And slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? Way back in episode three, I talked about something I call a poetry ambush, where you're minding your business and a poem jumps out and says boo at you. This could count as one of those for me. I have a set of CDs that I drove around with in my car for many years called Poetry on Record, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. It's just simply poets reading their own poems on audio version, and I would just play those one after the other as I drove around. And remember when you used to have to buy cassettes or CDs or records when you liked a certain song? Often when you got a new one, you would like a song or two, and then there'd be a couple new ones you liked, but then there were a few that were just boring. But because it was hard to skip around, you listened to the whole thing anyway, and maybe all of a sudden one day 
one of those songs that at first you hadn't even noticed just struck you with new and vibrant meaning and you couldn't believe you'd missed it before. That's kind of what this one was like to me. I had heard it many times, but then one night I heard it as though for the first time and it got me to the heart. If you can, look up Robert Hayden reading this poem himself on YouTube. There's a recording there, the same one that was on my CDs. But let's get back to the poem. Can a poem be perfect? This one makes me ask that question. I don't know if a poem can be perfect, but to me, this one brushes up against perfection. And it makes me want to wonder why. Well, there's a few things. And one is the sounds. This is an onomatopoeia palooza of a poem. I don't have it in front of me, but I think there's maybe 10 different hard sounds in the few lines that are talking about the father building the fire. It gives it that brittle, crackling, hard, cold feel when you read through there. And yet it's so subtle, it isn't over the top. It doesn't beat you over the head, but it's there adding that brittle feeling. Hmm, what else? The form, when I look at this, it's 14 lines, it's sonnet-sized, and as I've mentioned before, there is a certain feeling of completion and wholeness to me in a 14-line sonnet-like poem. It might be because I read so many of them. I don't think there's anything magic about 14 lines. But it seems like the perfect amount of time to have to face something, say something really strong, turn around and get out of a poem. You can't go on and on and on, but you also can't just say a few lines and be done. It forces a sort of completeness of thought and brevity at the same time that just settles just right in my mind often when I read a sonnet. And although I can't figure out any sort of pattern with the rhythm of this, with syllable counts per line or anything like that, it has a beautiful, intuitive speaking cadence to it that flows and has a poetic beauty. It's not as easy as it sounds to write like that. So those things I am in awe of, technically. Speaking of the sounds, I think the word offices is so interesting as a last word. It's, it's a strange word. At first, when I heard this poem, I, it felt out of place. But after all the hard, crackling sounds, offices, you basically have to whisper it. There isn't any voice in the last couple syllables. So it ends softly. And in a poem about work and a father working, I thought, well, a lot of fathers go to the office. This is a laborer, so he doesn't. He's outdoors. But it reminded me of just the work in general that daddies go to do that might sometimes not be appreciated by the kids at home or even fully understood what sacrifice it takes to go face that day after day. But then, of course, offices means duties that a certain job has loves offices, what it requires of us. 
But I'm ashamed to say it wasn't until a few weeks ago that the idea of offices as daily prayers struck me. I actually was at a monastery in the dead dark of winter time, and the first bells for the first prayer went off. It felt like the middle of the night. It was so dark and so cold. And I confess a couple times I just rolled up in my blanket and decided to wait for the next service. But I could see the lights on in the church, and I knew that the monks who lived there were getting up and going in perhaps for the thousandth or ten thousandth time to perform their austere morning offices. So I've talked about the sound and form. Another way this brushes with perfection, as I see it, is in its approach to memoir, to memory, a childhood memory. From what I've gathered from other poems and reading a little bit of bio I can find here and there, Robert Hayden did not have an easy childhood. He grew up in Detroit in a rough neighborhood and was fostered by some neighbors. And it sounds like at times, as this, as this poem suggests at times, that it was a cold and hard environment. But instead of going down, down into the pathos of that, this poem seems so reserved, so balanced, so willing to accept now as an adult his place in the coldness and hardness of that situation and to admit he did not understand everything. These actions that this rough man performed the fire building, the shoe polishing, and the regularity with which he performed them weren't asked for or appreciated. And now as an adult, he can see it for what it is, for the loneliness and austerity that those acts of love can be sometimes. So I think it's that in a few short lines, we get it. We get the coldness and the hardness and the anger, and we also get the love. And they're held in tension because of the difference in understanding the speaker had when he's in the poem, his body in the poem as a youngster, and then himself as the writer reflecting back on that. It might not surprise you that I can't end this discussion without talking at least a little bit about that repetition at the end. I'm so fascinated with the power in repetition in poems. I talked about that last week too. I don't know if I'll ever figure it out without reading deeply into neuroscience studies. I have searched around to try to find what is it about the human brain or my human brain heart that respond with such strength to repetition when done well in a poem. I wonder if it's kind of like a one-two punch in fighting or boxing that the first one you meet and you think you have faced what you're going to face and the second punch comes in and you aren't ready for it. I don't know. I don't know a lot about hitting people, but there's 
there's something about the first time hearing that breaks down a barrier and then the second time my mind feels not weakened but maybe more broken open somehow to receive hearing that same thing again right then that second time i wonder how you experienced the repetition of that last line here if it struck you or maybe if you listened to it enough times if it would someday okay This has been harder than I expected to just come in here and blabber about this poem with no notes and with no preparation other than thinking about this poem for the last years and saying it to myself hundreds of times. But I'll just say it one more time and end with that because the poem itself is really the gift. Not my thoughts about it, not my stumbling around trying to figure things out using the same words I've used before and still not making much progress, but the poem itself. Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake to hear the cold splintering, breaking, When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.